first reading is from 2 Thessalonians, chapter 3, verses 6 to 13, which you will find on page 1,125. <clears throat> In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. For you yourselves knew how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, labouring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. Anyone who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy, they are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the, in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of what is doing good. This is the word of the Lord. Be would you please stand for the gospel? <coughs> Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Luke 21, we begin at verse 5, and you will find it on page 997 in the Church Bibles. Some of the disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another, and every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to take place? He replied, watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, fam famines and pestilence in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you to synagogues and prisons and you will be brought before kings and governors, and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me, but make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves, for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or, or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm, and you will win life. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, 
Father God, we thank you for the freedom that we have to come and worship you here today. And so we do ask now, Father God, that by your Spirit the Scripture will be broken open to us and that we will receive your word. May the words now spoken truly be in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'd like you all to imagine that you're on a visit to London with a little group of friends. They are friends who have never been to London before and they are very keen that you take them to St Paul's Cathedral. They've seen pictures of it and have an impression of what a marvel of architecture it is and why it is famous as one of London's most iconic buildings. So you've taken them there, and you all have a grand tour of the cathedral, including, if unlike me you've got a head for heights, a climb up all the way to the dizzy height of the famous Whispering Gallery. I've never managed it. Your friends thoroughly enjoy their tour of the wonderful building, and afterwards you all assemble outside and stand for a little while sharing your thoughts. Then suddenly, one of your friends says to you all, I've received a prophecy concerning this building. Stunned silence at first, but then your friend says to you all, the time is not far away when this great building will become a heap of rubble, when not one stone will be left upon another. Now at first, you begin to wonder whether the friend is starting to lose one or two of their marbles. If so, nonetheless, it's worth remembering that roughly 60 years or so ago, that could indeed have happened to St Paul's, as it did to many other buildings in London. We've been well and rightly reminded just a few moments ago that today is Remembrance Sunday, an important day, really, in our annual national calendar, how good it is that every year we give special thought to and remember with very deep gratitude the many men and women in both world wars who courageously gave their lives so that others, us included of course, would be able to live in freedom. So how grateful we indeed are that St Paul's in all its splendour remains for all to enjoy, but of course also to worship in. If we can remain for a moment, though, with that awful picture of St Paul's in ruins, and then link it with our reading from Luke's Gospel, the connection is immediately clear. Here we have Jesus with his disciples in Jerusalem outside the temple. And as visitors from Galilee, many of the disciples at any rate, they marvel at the size and beauty of the building. They are impressed by the dedication to the God of Israel it seems to represent. But then Jesus, with far greater authority than the friend at St Paul's, gives just the same kind of prophecy about the Jerusalem temple. <coughs> As for these things, you see, 
The days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. To say that those disciples must have been shocked is to put it mildly. If ever a building had iconic status for a nation, it was the Jerusalem temple. It occupied the central place in their national life, their religion, and imagination. Not only was it the place to offer sacrifice regularly, it was believed to be the unique dwelling of the Lord God on earth, where heaven and earth met. So we can well imagine, once they'd got over their shock, the disciples would quickly ask, if this is for real, teacher, when? And what sign can we expect to show us it's about to happen? Well, this then leads into a lengthy discourse, well known amongst those who are very much into the interpretation of matters concerning the end times, in which Jesus speaks to his disciples about their future after he has left them. That is, following the events of Easter and his ascension. He does not immediately answer their specific question. In the verses that Pat read to us, that's page 9, 9, 7 and 8, in the Bibles if you want to have them ready, Jesus tells his disciples they've got tough times ahead of them, leading up to the destruction of the temple 40 years later in A.D. 70. It does not make comfortable listening or reading. He warns them about various things that must happen first. False messiahs, bogus prophets claiming that the end is just round the corner, wars, insurrections, earthquakes, famines, plagues, divisions between neighbors and with families, even betrayals. As if that were not enough, also the persecution of believers, some even being put to death because they are his disciples. And, in fact, the story of the first generation of the Christian church between Jesus' resurrection and the destruction of the temple bears out these prophecies. From the book of Acts and from other sources, we find the clearest illustrations that that was so. Nonetheless, Jesus doesn't simply stop with all this stuff. Along with telling them how it will be, he sets out to encourage his disciples. Do not be terrified. Do not fall away in fear. When you are being my witnesses and are hauled up before authorities who are hostile to you, don't be afraid about what you should say in your defense. You'll know that I am with you because I will give you words and wisdom which none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. Through all your witnessing to me, the good news of my kingdom will go out into the world and bear fruit. Although some of you will die on my behalf, through patient endurance you will keep your lives. Well, did these words of Jesus only apply to that first generation of disciples? Not a bit of it. In fact, Jesus described a general pattern which has repeated ever since right up to our own days of regular upheavals across the world, political, 
social, religious, within nature, and so on. As the passage was being read, some of us may well have felt that in large measure we were listening to a description of, of, of today's world. Many of the things Jesus refers to are mirrored in events we see happening in our world today. And not least of them is the ongoing persecution of Christians, even martyrdoms in many parts of the world. We've heard a lot about it over the last couple of years or so. Today, more Christians than in earlier times face persecution every bit as severe as that which the early church suffered. And so they need not only the prayers and support of believers, such as us, in much more fortunate places, <clears throat> but also the comfort and the encouragement of those words of Jesus. So in the light of all this, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> in the light of all this, what may Jesus' word be to us now, just where we are? Well, there is no overt persecution of Christians in our land. For most of us, the situation, I think we would admit, does remain pretty comfortable. But there can be opposition, there can be misrepresentation, misrepresentation and conflicts of interest between Christians and other groups. None of this should ever surprise us, and we need to be well prepared for whatever may come along. There is no room for any complacency, so we need to take heart ourselves today, Jesus' words to those very first disciples. So firstly, don't be led astray or deceived. There are still false messiahs who pop up from nowhere, hoping to gain a following, and who sometimes deceive the gullible, our much-read and respected scholar Tom Wright tells us that while he was reading his, right, sorry, writing his book on Luke, he received a letter from someone claiming to be the reincarnation of Jesus Christ. And that was far from the first time that that sort of thing has happened. There can be nothing more important than to be sure and clear as to who Jesus is truly is. The Son of God, God's Word, His self-expression in human flesh. Jesus is God's definitive self-revelation. He has no substitute. This is precious gospel truth, never to be diluted or amended, let alone surrendered. And of course it may well question us, about how effective we are at sharing this truth with others and defending it. Supposing you or I have a friend who is, say, a Muslim, or someone of another persuasion which has a view of Jesus which is simply off-key and untrue to the Incarnation, or, and more likely, simply a modern and maybe confused unbelief. Well, our approach should always be sensitive and compassionate, as well as informed, always ready to listen 
and do our best to understand another viewpoint. But of course, always hoping that the truth and the love of Jesus will break through and bring them to him as he truly is. But then Jesus also warns, do not be deceived by so-called prophets who want you to believe the end of this age is very near, the date fixes. We have them still today as well sometimes. And of course, they always get it wrong <coughs> and cause embarrassment and even distress to their followers. They may be sincere, but they are just misguided. They don't realize that they misuse scripture and in particular ignore Jesus' plain words. <coughs> but about that day and hour, no one knows. Neither the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Wouldn't you think that that would clinch it, at least for Christians, if even Jesus the Son did not know the when <coughs> or the how of the very end? How can we shun all ca calculations and foolish speculations? Please excuse me. <coughs> But then Jesus goes on to say, do not be frightened. When you have a chance to witness to me in front of authorities who are hostile to you, do not worry beforehand about what to say. I will give you words and wisdom. For some weeks now, we've been having experiences of the power of testimony among us and are finding that it can be an uplifting and an upbuilding thing. <coughs> Jesus' words here, though, are about testifying to him in quite a different context, that of people of who have power over you and who are hostile to your faith. What does this then say to us in our world today? Well, we can be thankful that most of the situations in which we have opportunity to share our faith are not hostile ones. Often we can be well prepared to defend and commend the gospel to people who just don't believe. In fact, the first letter of Peter tells us that we should be prepared to be able to do so. But occasionally there may be a situation that's less than friendly when we do well to heed Jesus' words and be simply dependent on him and the words and the wisdom he may give us. And that, surely, is a question of simple openness to the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit. But is not the constant challenge, I know it is to me, possibly to each one of us, do we recognize the opportunities when they are there, and do we take them? Do not be fearful, says Jesus, I am with you. And so finally then, Jesus encourages his disciples to have patience and endurance as they face the testing and critical times that lay ahead of them. Everybody will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. That phrase, not a hair of your head, will perish, sorry, 
That phrase, not a hair of your head will perish, can be found in various places in the Old Testament, and it signifies God's complete knowledge of and care for his people. In spite of suffering, God will guard and keep into, it, into eternity everything that really matters. So I'm sure we can say that Jesus encourages us now to have just that same patience and endurance, having confidence in him of that ultimate day of victory and glory for his kingdom, his return. As Tom Wright puts it to us, Jesus told us we would need patience to hold on and see it through. We should not be surprised if we are called through whatever circumstances to practice that virtue, however unfashionable it may be in our hurried and anxious world.